0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: If I speak for your followers and I speak for your ex followers and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in, and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say, Who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says, Don't listen to your mom and dad, don't talk to your mom and dad, that's bad.
0: I remember sitting there wishing I could just scream out loud and beg for help. But I knew if I did that, I would never see Mark again. This is the thing about real life. You can't experience the great things without the bad things. I felt like it would probably be better off if we didn't exist. And, um, you know, came up with a plan on, on how to end it. He talks about a seven-year-old child mm-hmm. even, if, even if he's referring to actually an adult so let's say we change that to an adult I mean, the woman he shudders because the man kids even passionately the fact is that he shudders you do a big apology to me and give me my kids back i'm still shocked by the evil i, I, I yes even to this day when i see a video of a former friend or family member i'm like this is pure evil at work.
1: Okay, welcome to Come Get Some Extra, another episode. Uh, where we left off last week, I was with Penny, and I can't say her last name very well, and I get kind of screwed up right around the X. I just call her Penny X for, I don't know, randomness. But uh, when we left off with Penny, she was uh, with her husband, Brian, uh being recruited, or they are trying to recruit her, and they hadn't quite hit that button yet to really irk her enough to say that they went too far on the hard sell, but uh, we're about to find out just how far they would be able to try to recruit her, and then we'll find out more about uh, Brian's deteriorating condition uh, that led to his passing, which actually um, was uh, May 26th one year ago, so tomorrow uh, will be the year anniversary of that. Which Penny writes about in her blog, ScientologyWidow.wordpress.com. wordpress.com this is one of the things that really, it's really bothered. Me, you know, the, of course, of course, uh, the uh, the abuses, uh, the various different kinds of abuses, are, are some of the, big, one of the biggest things. Um, you know, uh, that bother me about this whole thing. Of course, there's the uh, the the disconnection. But this is one thing, this particular situation with Penny, especially because of, uh, in her case, uh, the, the collateral damage that I don't think gets enough attention that gets talked about uh, when talking about the abuses in Scientology. Uh, there's a lot of collateral damage of people who never had anything to do or wanted anything to do uh, with Scientology, and it's unbelievable uh, how bad it can be. Uh, You can think of any wise employee that didn't want to practice Scientology practices that may have been punished in some way at their job. You can think Aaron Smith-Levin's children who uh, weren't able to have a good relationship with their grandparents who were then forced to move away because they were living too close. Or you can think of Christy Gordon's grandfather who wanted nothing to do with Scientology but spent his last days being forced uh, to to do Scientology practices, thus really uh, creating a bad quality of life in his last days. And then there's the story like Penny's here, uh, where her husband passed, and, and if treated properly and if not for the practice of Scientology, it didn't have to happen. And I think that's kind of a big deal, and my heart goes out to Penny as she comes uh, closes in on a year uh, from Brian's passing. Uh, let's go ahead and pick up where we left off here in part two with Penny here. Uh, she's being, uh, they're trying to recruit her and uh, that's where we left off. Here we go. Um,
0: Brian was just sitting there beaming, you know. He didn't really say anything, and then, um, and then somehow it came out that I had kids, and so she, like, leapt out of her chair and said, I have something you must have, and she dashed around the corner, and then came back with this book on parenting, and she said, this is a course that we offered, and you really must take this course if you have children, and so as she's talking, I'm paging through this book, and it's like larger than average type, and it's got these big blocks of shaded text, and there's nothing in there that I didn't know. I'm trying to think like my oldest at that time was I don't even know thirty in her twenties, plus to 30, whatever, and so i'm I'm pacing through this stuff, and I'm thinking there's nothing in here that I didn't know more than twenty years ago. Plus, I could have written this book and have written it better. Um, and so shes <laughs> she's saying that if I don't, if I don't take this course, there is no way I am doing a great fit service to my children because there's no way that I can give them what they need to be productive, healthy, happy adults. Now, you want to talk about reactive? Now I'm pissed.
1: <sighs> Only I'm Scientology.
0: Pissed, right? And so I close the book very gently and I say, that's really, really lovely. Um, You know, when when do you have this course? And she said, well, it's like every night from whatever to wherever. I'm like, well, no. I have teenagers at home, so... I can't do that. And she said, well, we offer it all day, every, you know, both days of the weekend as well. And I said, well, that seems really convenient. I'm sure that Brian could hook me up here if I decided I could make that work. And then a little bit of talk, and I look at my watch or my phone or whatever, and I'm like, oh, I think that we need to go.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, So Brian's like, you know, his exuberant Brian self – saying goodbye to everybody, shouting out greetings, as I'm making a beeline for the door to get out of that place, and I'm so furious, I can't speak, like, and I drove there, you know, in my car, and all I wanted to do was leave him on the side of the road and say, like, that's it, like, it's bad enough that this woman insulted me, but you sat there grinning at her the whole time, and I said nothing. I just, like, fumed and dropped him off and went home, and it took it had took a while before I could say something to him about it. And, I, and, and what I said was, you know, that was really offensive, and that will never happen again, ever, or, you know, this will not happen again. It will be done. And it really didn't. Um, you know, Chris Shelton made a few attempts to convince me I should be on course. And people would say that when I went into the org. Oh, are we going to see you on course soon? And I'd be like, no, I don't nope. really think so. I'm pretty happy with my religion. <laughs> but other than that, there was no real hard sell.
1: That was a pretty hard sell there, there, though. Wow.
0: That was awful. Really awful. <laughs>
1: And the imagery of her getting up and shooting across the room to get the book, because mm-hmm. so important to show it to you, it, it, the, the, the visual is hilarious, but I totally can see what, what you, imagine what you're saying, uh, that exuberant yeah. need. You have to have this. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, wow. Finally something, because you have children. We have the answer. Oh, <laughs> that, was the that, I, was <laughs> that was the end. That was it. That was the end. But it wasn't. funny, you know. No one ever suggested that I do a personality test. Weird. Um, the the doctor's wife, you know, the doctor that I work with, his wife was on staff, and she wanted me to come in and do a free Dianetics auditing session. And I said, sure, I'll do that. But we could never agree on a time that would work because I was working for her husband too late into the evening. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, um, so I never did it and mm-hmm. but she didn't, you know, like she offered, but she didn't really push all
1: that far. All right. So a couple things. Um, I think the next thing we need to get into is the worsening condition of your husband's health. Um, but before we get into that, I find it interesting. I, I, I feel like you dealt with Chris Shelton. Now Chris Shelton, I consider a friend. I think he's one of the good guys. I've had him on the show a couple times. Um, but you describe it, it even Chris Shelton talked about a little bit, is that he you've known Chris Shelton both ways. The way he was doing everything he could to sell services for the greater good, and the critical thinking anti Scientology Chris Shelton.
0: Right. So right. I didn't know him super well when he was in. Brian did. Um he was working with Brian on some things at the org. I met him probably two or three times um, when he was when he was in and I thought he was you know nice enough but
1: when you're when you know. you're being uh, in, when you find yourself in a position where you're trying to deal with and balance having a husband so when you're dealing with being the wife of a husband who you very much want to have relations with but you're having this conflict this crisis of he's involved in this same, this destructive cult that's not doing him any good and you got someone like chris shelton who has basically just because it was his job or because he believed that was that it was right for the greater good pushed those services when he comes back around on the other side as an ex-scientologist offering help is there trepidation there? Did it take some time? Was it, was it hard for you to trust him at that point?
0: Well, I saw his post on the ex-Scientologist message board, um, you know, when he came out. And then the first video he made, I think, or one of the first videos he made, you know, I'm not a Scientologist and here's why. And I, I have to say, when I looked at that video the first time, I almost fell off my chair. I was so shocked. I'm like, oh, my God, this is the guy from Twin Cities. Um, so I messaged him. You know, I watched the whole video, and I thought about it for a couple of days, and I messaged him, and I said, hey, we know each other. And um, I don't know if you watched my interview with him on his mm-hmm. Sensibly mm-hmm. Speaking podcast, but it was funny because um, – we agreed that we would meet for lunch, I think. And um, I talked about how I got there early. I watched him drive up. I watched him get out of his car. I made sure he wasn't with somebody or meeting somebody <laughs> secretly, didn't have any recording equipment. Um, and and I had told him I was dating somebody at the local org, but I wouldn't tell him who. Um, and And it was – like we sat and talked for a couple hours and it was over an hour into the conversation that he said to me, okay, who are you dating? (laughs) And and I told him, but even that was a little scary to tell him. But he told me that he had the same concerns about me that like he had just got out and here's this woman reaching out to him. So it's kind of funny. Um, But after that, after that first conversation, I didn't have any trouble trusting him after that. I mean, if he was going to, out me to the org and say, Hey, this woman that Brian is dating is reaching out to people, I think it would have been pretty quick that they that it would have come back to me.
1: Right. He he has a way of presenting himself in a way that you know what his intention is and it's it's a good thing that a good quality to have. But I mean I, I think there's also the aspect of what I was wondering about was he had tried really hard to keep your husband on course and yeah. I don't yeah, know if everybody can forget that. You know what I mean? But but that didn't concern you any.
0: Well, so I didn't realize I thought that Scientology was interfering in my life in terms of time and money to a small extent. More about time, about money, and in about being able to discuss things philosophically. I did not realize until Brian was sick, and maybe even until after he died, that it influenced his life on every level and therefore mine as well. And so that depth of control about what you think about and what you believe and the lens through which you view things, I, I think I'm still sorting out how deep that went. Right. So, so I was, you know, up until, up until the, the week that they told him he was no longer welcome on course, we sat down with our calendars every weekend and planned out our week. And often I was the one to say, when are you going to the org this week? So so the fact that Chris got him kind of back on course, and that was probably before we met, before Brian and I met. Um, I mean, I, I guess I don't really have any there's there's no bad feelings there for me. If it wasn't Chris, it would have been someone else. Chris right. didn't make Brian a true believer. Brian was that probably from the first day that he entered the org. Um, and, and that's really, you know, that's the depths of the mind control. It, it was not that he was on course once a week. It was all... All of the other things that were part of the package that that had nothing to do with Chris, and there's there's never been one one thought of ill will on my part. And in fact, when Chris said something in that video about how how he felt regret for having got Ryan back in, I was actually surprised to hear that because it never even crossed my mind that 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 would be something that he would would. Feel some some sadness around.
1: Doesn't um, that say a lot about his character too? I mean, that he he more oh, yeah. concerned about that than than you.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. he's, he's a lot. been a, an incredible and supportive friend through all of this. Um, there's so much that I wouldn't know or wouldn't have been able to do without his help. Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. I
1: think um, you know, of course, to a greater degree, Mike Rinder, uh, people who were ex-scientologists who were in some kind of authoritative uh, power that had the ability to convert or recruit said whatever needs to be said you find out they weren't themselves they weren't they weren't themselves right. uh, they were with Scientology right. created all right. right
0: right right which is very hard for me now to sort out Who really was Brian? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe all all I'll ever know is what Scientology created.
1: Well, I mean, he stayed with you and he didn't have to. And he was pressured not to, right?
0: Well, he didn't have to, but I paid for his medical care. So, you know, I, I told him, you're welcome to leave, Hmm. um, Well, I take that back. At first I said, you know what, you're welcome to leave. You can't have Scientology and me anymore because they've attacked me and they've attacked our marriage, and, um, you know, that's just the boundary that I have. But if you want to leave, if you think someone else will take care of you the way that I'm taking care of you, I'll still pay for your care. But as things got progressively worse and he got sicker and there were a whole lot of dynamics in there, you know, I, I said, you know, that's not really the case anymore. Okay. Um, so to a certain extent, I think he made a choice to take care of himself. But before he knew how sick he was, he did choose to stay. I don't know. I think I, – I don't have a good way of answering that. I, I really think that if he hadn't gotten any sicker, if he had started to get well sooner, I think he might have been pulled back into the church. I think he might have left, but I don't know.
1: It, it feels like – no, it's hard for me to say because I'm not – I wasn't in your relationship and I didn't know him. But from your story, it feels like he was very torn.
0: Oh, absolutely, and and that contributed to you know the depression that eventually led to the catatonia that eventually led to his death. Um, absolutely, he was he was very torn. He didn't, I don't think he wanted to leave, um, and I don't think he wanted to not be a Scientologist. But you know when they Kick you out. You don't really have an option, and because he was very ill, he there was no hope of getting on the bridge anyway.
1: now why did they they kicked him off? Because he was getting worse uh, health wise.
0: No, they kicked him out because I'm evil. Um, oh, because they, of you. Right, right. Oh wow. They, they kicked him out because of me, because um, because. I was Facebook friends with Tish Shelton. That's right.
1: Oh my gosh, that was the whole reason.
0: Had you that? That was yeah. The big that was the crux of the reason. Yes, they they um. -hmm. I was Facebook friends, and and we knew kind of that was coming down the pike, and we'd had a conversation about it earlier. um, That that I, again, was an enemy of the church because I was Facebook friends with Kirk Shelton, and I said, you know, like, your church doesn't get to um, censor my friends. There are people on my Facebook page who are far left liberals, (laughs) far right conservatives, Muslim, Jew, pagans, Christians, Scientologists. There are people on my Facebook page who don't like my religion okay so your church doesn't get to tell me that this one person who is is talking out against Scientology doesn't get to be on my Facebook friends it just doesn't look that way and then then you know I talked about the creed of Scientology you know that every person has the right to write about speak about whatever their opinions um you know like the like their attempt to censor me is, is contrary to your own creed. It's contrary to their declaration of human rights that they say is in line with the UN's declaration of human rights. It's just, it's not going to happen. And he agreed. He was like, no, I agree. And you know, if they do that, I said, what if they kick you out? He said, well, I'll just do my studies at home and it'll be fine. Um, but when it push actually came to shove, it wasn't fine. Um,
1: was it only friending Chris Shelton on Facebook or were you making comments about Scientology?
0: No. In fact, at that point, so that was like the fall of 2015. At that point, I didn't know that there were Scientology or ex slash critic Scientology groups on Facebook. I had no idea. I never read Chris's stuff on Facebook. I watched his videos and went to his blog, but I never saw it on Facebook. I never made – in 2015, I was probably making some health statements on Facebook because my mom had been really ill and had died at that point. But I – up until the day that my mom got sick, my Facebook was entirely cat videos and inspirational (laughs) memes. Like there was nothing controversial on there ever – Right. Um. That's not the case now. Now it's only controversy. <laughs> You're right. Um, I mean, Hundred yeah, percent. I mean, pretty much. Um. So no. Like I've seen a cat I, and, and dog. I've seen a cat and dog
1: video. And,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's about it. And and in fact, they said to him, um, your your wife liked six things on Chris Shelton's page. <laughs> And I'm like, six things over what period of time? I'm like, i like God. six things that you post in an hour. Like, what they, oh, my gosh.
1: And none of numbers. it
0: was about my television. Yeah, they had them numbers. Apparently they had shown him, you know, that I was friends with this evil person. Um, so there were, there were some other things kind of going on behind the scenes at that time. And I'm, I'm saving some of that for the book. So I'll just tell you there, there is a little bit bigger picture, but you'll have to wait until my book comes out. Understandable. Okay. Um, but it, but really it, the, the big, the big fiery thing was, was that I was Facebook friends with for particularly because he had been in twin cities and that, as you know, was a big deal because he left the sea org and that reflects badly, blah, blah, blah. Yes.
1: Yeah. Do, do you feel that the bigoted, of Scientology to treat people that way? Because I feel like that's bigotry in itself because they're always crying bigotry.
0: Well, they cry bigotry when what they mean is you disagree with me. Right. You know, just because I disagree with someone or something doesn't mean, A, that I'm attacking it or B, that I'm bigoted. You know, um, I think where they could, where you can make an argument for bigotry is their, Personal attacks against people who speak out, where they get former friends or family members to tell half truths in videos, where they make hate pages that are untruthful or skewed or um, flat-out lies. That those are the kinds of things that I think get into attacks as bigotry. Um, but if they disagree with someone speaking out, okay, say so you disagree, and and if you disagree this is This is what I talk about in critical thinking. is if you disagree with my argument on anything, if it's religion or gender politics or education or healthcare, then go do your research, go find your own research, you know peer-reviewed research papers, and come back and present me with facts that oppose what I'm saying and that presents right. your point of view. That's a rational disagreement. But to start calling somebody names, um, or, which including Bigot, because they disagree with you is, is well, it's an error in reasoning. It's you know, discrediting. It's,
1: it's, you know, I had, right. someone, I had someone ask me the other day, you hear this a lot of it from people who are in Scientology. I heard this from somebody who's one of those in-between people who are out of Scientology, but they are still believe in it. That uh, hit me with the question of when's the last time you talk to a Scientologist? And I said, when's the last time you talk to a mime? Because it's the same conversation. I've invited, since I've started this podcast, I've invited actual active Scientologists to be part of the podcast from the beginning. Leo Remin in the Aftermath has invited Scientologists to be on the show from the beginning. They don't have an argument. It's not that you right. don't talk to them or try to understand their side. They don't present a side.
0: Right. Right. Well, and remember, you know, they, they can't present a side because there's that prescription against verbal tech. So they can't, they can't explain to you verbally what they believe. What they have to do is get the reference source or tell you to come down to the org and take a class.
1: I do get that a lot. Yep. Why don't you go? Why don't you go mm-hmm. check out the local org? I did. It was locked. The lights were out. No one was there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny. This is this is the God's honest truth, and I haven't actually talked about it on this show. Um, the Orlando org—that's the address that was listed on the website last year—had opened the grand opening. I want to say like late 2015, early 2016. I have a screenshot of the grand opening. I went last year in 2017 when they were advertising Walk-In's Welcome. I went there during business hours. It was locked. The lights are out. There was no one around. I had been talking about this all year long. Now all of a sudden, someone messaged me a few months ago back around Christmas and said, oh, that hasn't opened yet. We haven't had their opening yet. And I showed them the grand opening, and, and they didn't really have a good answer. And now they closed it. And now they're going to open another one. I don't know if it has anything wow. to do with me outing them or if it's just an excuse, but the whole thing's full of inconsistencies and, and twisted truth. It's, it's hilarious.
0: Right. And, you know, just to take a small example, like the purist, they'll, they'll tell you what L. Ron Hubbard said the Purif is supposed to do. But when you counter with science, with good science they don't have anything to fall back on you know like like don't get science have someone in medicine or physiology or exercise or whatever review what you're doing but they don't have that i mean they they it's as much as they say it's an applied religious philosophy and not a faith it really is faith based you you are you are Believing what L. Ron Hubbard said 100% and countering that with fact, um, you know, doesn't, they have nowhere to go from that because they can't go find research, what you and I would call research, right. to back up what they believe because it doesn't exist.
1: Well, that's the materials they send you. They go, okay, here's a link to the information of my argument so you can see the proof.
0: and It's, it's
1: an LRH document. It's <laughs> just something from Dianetics right. or
0: something, you
1: know. Right. Okay. Well,
0: oh. and I don't know if you read on my blog, I did a series on the the TRs, on the training routines, and on the effects, uh, you know, and, and on the dissociative effects that happens and on how I believe that for some people, perhaps a lot of people, it almost borders on torture. But um, mm-hmm. I got a lot of pushback From the same community, you know, the people who aren't in the church but who are still practicing, that that it's not dissociative, that it's not trance like, that it doesn't do these things, and there's no research. Well, actually, there is research. There's there's research on fixed eye staring and on the trance that it induces, there's research on the closed eye. sensory deprivation on, on the trance and hallucination that, that it induces. So there's research on the side of science on a lot of these Scientology processes and techniques that suggest that they're either harmful or don't work. But, but on the Scientology side, no one has done the research to say that it's not harmful or it is beneficial or that it, is, that it does work. And so they don't have anything to counter with because they can't actually do that research. They have no mechanism for actually doing the research. Their only mechanism is believing what L. Ron Hubbard said. Like you say, the research paper they send you is something that L. Ron Hubbard wrote.
1: Yeah. Well, look, I mean, a lot of it's placebo effect. If you pull out your fingernails and the next day you have a good day, then pulling out your fingernails <laughs> must work. Right, you know that's right. the how that's the research. Um, right. So, so getting back to, right, so what your book's going to be about, and what a lot of your research is, and a lot of your efforts online to to educate people about the abuse of Scientology, is that you hold Scientology responsible for your husband's death. You feel it was preventable, and it was the practice of Scientology that led to him, uh, not not making it basically. So, so what happened? There was more than just the cancer.
0: Right. So, so um, it is true that Brian's cancer became aggressive, and um, we began treating that in the spring of 2016 and slowly saw improvement um, over time. So his tumor shrank considerably, all of his labs stabled, um, his need for supportive measures decreased, decreased, decreased. But this bizarre symptom that we saw, that we didn't even know what to call it. We would call it confusion, but he was, it wasn't like he was confused. It's not like when you see people who are confused. Um, he was dissociative to a certain extent, um, but, and, and that's kind of what we focused on. But, it was, but even that was Strange because he would come and go in an instant he would be sitting and having a conversation and then his eyes would start to roll back and forth you know side to side and then he'd just droop and be gone um, and in mm. fact we had a medical provider catch that on video and she was shocked because so I told people this would happen and apparently I'm not believable because they would just like poo-poo me and then this medical provider caught it on video and the look on her face, she just stared at him and then she looked at me and she went looked back at him and I just kind of shrugged and nodded and said, Yes, this is exactly what I've been telling you. Um, and and we couldn't we couldn't get an answer for that. And and for the longest time after he died, I would go around and around in my head about I should have tried to get him psychiatric help. Well, I did try, and we all tiptoed around him seeing a psychiatrist, myself included, out of respect for his Scientology beliefs. You know, I should have demanded a full psychiatric evaluation when he was in the hospital. Well, I did that. I couldn't get one. No one ever did a full psychiatric evaluation. Um, I should have taken him to therapy. I took him to two or three no, I took him to four therapists, oh. and no one caught it. Um, one woman wanted to spend our time together ha- helping me understand how he wanted to die because he didn't have Scientology in his life anymore. Um, one woman couldn't talk to him because he would disappear like that, Um the other one specialized in dissociation and did some good work at first, and then he had a very severe setback. I um, mean, it wasn't that I didn't try it. And then we did, we did neural psych evaluation. Somebody said maybe it's dementia. Well, dementia is, this was sudden onset. I can tell you the day and the time that my husband disappeared. Wow. Um, So you know, dementia doesn't happen like that. It's it's slow onset over time, and this is not. Um, But we did neuropsych eval, and they didn't catch it because everybody wanted to put things into the cancer box. No matter what he had going on, they decided it was due to the cancer, in spite of the fact that he was all of his cancer symptoms. You know, the things that we were tracking were improving. so then, oh, and then I finally got him to see, it, like a personal psychiatrist, not, not one that you see just when you're in the hospital. I got him in to see his own personal psychiatrist, and I said to this doctor, I said, you know, this looks to me like catatonia, and he said, oh, and he did a few tests, and he said, well, I don't see anything today that looks like catatonia, and that's really rare. So he kind of blew me off. I didn't know it was really rare. My, I had a brother-in-law who was catatonic many years ago. Yeah. Um, so then these bizarre symptoms would continue. The spacing out, the, the sitting in strange postures, or the inability to hold a posture. He'd be sitting up on a chair, and he'd keep sliding over to one side, drooping. And, and I'd say, Brian, what are you doing? And he'd say, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, he started, his gait became very strange. He started to do like this funny walk on the balls of his feet, kind of duck walk thing, and he couldn't figure out how to stand up straight. And we were, he was in the hospital, and then he went to a transitional care unit to do some physical therapy before he came home. Um, and he got better there briefly and then got worse. I think in part because the care was substandard. And I think that some things were said to him that made him lose hope. That's what I think, but I don't know. Um, and I took him in. He was going in for a medication reevaluation with the psychiatrist. And I said, You know, I really, really think he looks like catatonia and, and the psychiatrist said well let's do this and he took out this form this check sheet and he started filling it in and then he looked up at me and he said wow he said he definitely scores for catatonia on this week and he said if I were you I would take him into the emergency room today and I said here's the thing every time I take him into the emergency room and I ask for mental health services. They tell me he's got a urinary tract infection, his calcium is too, low, too high, his hemoglobin is too low, and we address those things in very short order, but this never gets better. No one ever addresses this. And frankly, they're often quite rude to me. You know, when I took him in and said, you know, some of what you're seeing is the dissociation, I had a medical provider say to me, Oh, uh, what is a dissociative disorder anyway? I mean, very rude and dismissive. And it's not, you know, I'm a well-educated adult. It's not like I was reading things in a woman's magazine and coming <laughs> in and saying, you know, hey, I read this thing in Good Housekeeping or Woman's Day. Like, like I read research papers. I know what I'm talking about. And he said, so the psychiatrist said, I will, I'll I'll write a note for you to take with you. I want you to go to this particular hospital because they have a separate mental health track in their ER. I want you to ask for that. And this is the psychiatrist I want you to ask for. There's a geriatric psychiatrist. She's the best in the state, if not in the region. She's really good at what she does, and I want you to ask. So we came home, and and. um the psychiatrist had, adri- had adjusted my medication a little bit. He said he might become even less responsive and I laughed. I said he can't be less responsive. Well, I was wrong. I, I took him home overnight. He started on this new medication regime. He became completely well, not like passed out non-responsive, but like sitting up with his head down floppy couldn't move. I mean, it couldn't move him Anywhere. There was, there was nothing. And so I called the ambulance again and I said, I have a letter from Brian's psychiatrist. He said to ask for the mental health track. We've changed his medication. We, we, he wants him to see this particular psychiatrist at this hospital. Can we do that? And they said, Oh, yes. And so they radioed ahead. They took us into the mental health unit in the ER. Which, by the way, is very different than the medical unit. You go into a locked ward where the TVs are behind screens. It was really an experience. Right. And then they took his, then they took his vitals, and because his temperature was very slightly elevated, they decided that he was that he had uh, sepsis, that he, that he had a systemic infection, um, and so they kicked him out of the mental health unit and over into the medical and I kept saying wait, 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 wait vitals out of parameter are a key indicator of catatonia Um, and they were like nope, he's septic." and I'm like nope pretty sure he's not and they cultured his blood and of course nothing grew they put him in ICU and I begged them to see the psychiatrist that we had been referred to and they wouldn't let Brian see her. They didn't call her down to the ICU. We saw a different psychiatrist who was rude and dismissive and an in, you know, the hospitalist I guess who was an internist. The hospitalist who was rude and dismissive and I begged them. I said you have a chance to save this man's life Don't you want to take this chance I understand that we don't fit The normal conventional parameters For anything, I get that But you have a chance To do something that might save a life Don't you want to do that And they, they wouldn't And in fact You know when the, the internist The hospitalist doctor came in And threw a graph down in front of me And he said Look at this, Brian's PSA The the thing that we measure to see prostate health has just been climbing since this date. So it's clear that he's dying of prostate cancer. And I I said, yes, it's been climbing since that date. But if you look at the graph, if you look at the full graph, you're only showing me half of it. It was very high before. It came down to that low number that you're starting with, and then it climbed again. If you look in his chart at the letter and the notes from his oncologist, he states that Brian's PSA is very high, but it's stable at a very high level, and that he can't explain it, but that we should not pin everything on cancer and look at the big picture. And I said, I said the symptoms that we're seeing today, I was seeing before Brian had some of these cancer marker things. He said, he said, well, that's just your opinion. I said, no, it's not. I said, I have ER visits, you know, concurrent with MRIs and blood works. Those are facts. And then he yelled, I don't have to listen to your facts. Ah, I said, that was when I started saying standard of care, and I'm calling my lawyer on Monday. Um, but we still didn't see the psychiatrist. words. Two or three more days, I saw the psychiatrist that I wanted to see finally came down after I made a huge sink, came down to see me the following Monday, which was the day that Brian died the first time, and she said, what is it that you would like me to know? She was, she was very kind. They gave me all new doctors who were very kind. And I said, here are the symptoms that I've seen, the spacing out, the strange posturing, the standing in, in a strange posture for 40 minutes, the bizarre gait, the not moving, the inability to swallow, all of these things that come and go, they, they're not constant. They come and go. And she stopped me and she said, absolutely. She said, this thing that you've been seeing for a year or more is, is absolutely catatonia. She said, it's so severe that if, I had seen Brian in my office a month ago or six months ago or a year ago when he was stronger. I could have forced him by court order to get treatment in spite of his religious beliefs. That's how sick he is. So catatonia, if you don't know what it is, is a psychomotor disease that is believed to run concurrent with either a physical or another mental illness. Most often you hear about schizophrenic catatonia.
1: Okay.
0: It also occurs with depression, but it also occurs with medical disorders. And it's, it's considered to be rare, but newer research is suggesting that it's not as rare as we think it is. And it's life-threatening because people stop, Eating. They stop moving. They stop eating. They don't, you know, they, well, basically they end up starving because they don't have good nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened to Brian is that he became so weak that he lost his airway um, and they revived him. And then he, he never woke up. He, he was on life support for four more days. And then when we removed the life support, then he died within minutes, almost immediately. Um, So Brian had a psychiatric history before entering Scientology. He um, had a history of severe depression and of dissociation. And he received electroshock therapy in the 60s. So he was an illegal preclear. That's why he was never able to get on the bridge. He received ECT in the 60s, and then he had 10 years of care under a psychiatrist and different psychiatric medications. And then he stopped all of that cold turkey when he joined Scientology in 1977 and had no mental health care. And everyone that knew him through those years that I have spoken with has said that if he had had good mental health care, through those years he would never have ended up in this place in 2015 um, or if he had ended up depressed and going down the road toward Catatonia in 2015 because of his other health issues he would have received good mental health care sooner yeah. so you know as as Chris and I talked about it it is a multi-system failure certainly the medical establishment failed him um, and and failed him severely but he wouldn't he wouldn't have been in that place if it hadn't been for his years in Scientology he wouldn't have ended up with a severe psychiatric disorder
1: that sounds like a terrible experience and I'm sorry it happened that way and I do think some people will listen to your story and think, "Well, how does Scientology kill your husband? The medical field failed him, but you just said it. You know, things would have been different if he wasn't in a, in a organization that tries to claim they have all the answers in places they have no business saying they have the answers."
0: Right, and the really the really cool thing about being an illegal preclear is that. Scientology says, We have all the answers. We have the only way, the only technology, the only way to regain your godlike abilities. We have the only way to repair your life and restore you to this great being that you should be. But you, Brian, are so damaged by having been under the care of a psychiatrist before you knew about us. That mm-hmm. you you are not good enough to receive all these great things that we have, but you can't leave us either. Think about that.
1: Think about that. Uh, people listening, that here's this guy who is being told he's so damaged, he's not able enough. Because that's the that's the flawed doctrine of Scientology. Only able body being more able he wasn't able enough to go on the bridge, but he was able enough to give them his money.
0: Yes, exactly. And he did. He did.
1: That's crazy. That is pure insanity. And I think you told me because he was never able to go on the bridge and because he had to leave Scientology, you felt like he kind of mentally checked out because of that.
0: Oh, yeah. He, um, when he got sick, before we knew everything that was going on, um, he sat in a chair and didn't move basically, and um, and I and I said to him, Brian, you have to, you have to eat and you have to get up and you have to move. Like you can't just sit here in this chair and die, because you're not on course, you know, or because you're not at the local org. And he looked at me and he said, I don't have anything left to live for.
1: Wow. This is Scientology.
0: This is Scientology, exactly.
1: So I want people to realize, and I think people do a little bit, but I do feel like, I know you wanted to to, to talk about a little bit, that the never ends that are affected. And I'm not saying the percentage of this because I'm a never end. I, I, that's not what I think about. I think about the people who are affected as collateral damage. Um, the grandchildren, yeah. the brother, the sister, the mother, the father, who never had anything or wanted anything to do with Scientology, that get terribly affected by Scientology practices. And this is a very major example of that is your life was turned upside down. It was kind of like without being imprisoned by the call of Scientology mentality, you're imprisoned by the situation. You were stuck in a situation where you couldn't be fully honest and communicate with your own spouse because it would shake the foundation of your marriage, basically.
0: Right. Right. There were things that we couldn't talk about. And, and now we're, agreement um you know when we first started dating in and it was serious is that is that we would share who we were that we wouldn't hide who we were and yet and yet i couldn't share who i was in that in that area you know and and not not to say like I think you need to get out of this thing or it's a cult or it's evil, but just to even be able to say, I have concerns or, or I don't know that I really buy this thing that I heard at the event. Um, Let's check it out.
1: You know,
0: which, which I would say about, which I do say about things in paganism all the time. I'm like, mm, I'm not really buying that. <laughs> do you have a do you have a okay. resource on that. Right. I mean you can't you can't say that. But but the the damage I think the damage I think is is I mean, certainly what happened to Brian and what happened to us. And and it's that that's, that's multi level of complexity. You know, I quit a good job to take care of him. I spent a lot of money on his medical care. Um, I lost friends. I mean, a lot of things happened. I mean, that, what happened to me and Brian is an extreme example. But but even when you think about um, grandparents who lose their grandchildren to the sea org and um, don't see them again, or Friends who, you know, who lose their friends because they've entered Scientology and now they are encouraged to pull away from people who aren't Scientologists. And the collateral damage, I think there's a web of that underlying Scientology's high control that that is somewhat invisible.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Are you still there? Yeah, I am. I felt like you yeah. cut out. Okay, that was me again. So I have to watch my edits and get some of those blank spaces out. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I think you're right. <laughs> and um, it, it's uh, man, how much can we talk about it? Right. Right. But uh, yeah, the collateral damage needs to not be ignored because it, it, it's it's worse than. Just like it's the saying, right? It's worse than you think. It's always worse than you think.
0: Scientology okay. always worse than you think. That's for sure. That's for sure. You know, and and you look at at my life and Brian's, and you can see the collateral damage as it implodes in my home. But what you don't see are our circle of friends who were never in Scientology, never heard of Scientology know a little bit about it now because my Facebook page is now very controversial, (laughs) but, but who have also lost a very, very dear friend. You know, Brian is as much gone from their lives as he is from mine. And I mean, their connection to Scientology is very tangential. Um, You know, I look at my little grandchildren that. He was here when they were born and he loved those babies and they'll never see him grow up or they'll he will never see them grow up I just right. you know, know you and <laughs> right right and I mean that kind of damage that we don't see or the camping events that we went to every year for years last year we had a memorial service for Brian. These are people who don't know anything about Scientology except the, a tiny little bit that I forced them to hear when I'm ranting. Right. And yet they lost someone who was very dear in their lives. And, and I, I, I think there's a web of damage that just ripples out so far that we can't even find where it ends.
1: That's fair. Fair to say, I agree. So uh, you would say, with a hundred percent confidence, you think he would be here today if he was allowed to have the proper care from the from the start?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, you can't predict what what any kind of illness is going to do, but I would say he'd have uh, about a ninety percent chance of still being here. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: All right. So that's an important message right there. Do you know how far out we are from a book release?
0: Um, no. So I would say — I would say it's about 80 percent first draft written. Um, I'm going to send it to beta readers. I was really hoping to do that this spring, but I, I had to take a break. I had a lot of trauma around his illness and just needed to take a break for my own mental health. So I have now started writing again excitedly. Um, so I'm assuming it's going to go to beta readers by the end of the summer, early part of the fall, and then rewrite, I'm still hoping, 2019. You know, I'm, gonna, okay. um, I'm, I'm hoping for conventional publishing. I'll start querying agents as soon as I have um, that first or second draft um, edits done.
1: I look forward to it. Um, I think it's going to be an important book, and I think uh, you're doing important stuff speaking out because you could have easily just faded into the shadows, moved on with your life, but you've chosen to fight for the lives of others, and I think that's admirable.
0: Thank you. Thank you. It's not always easy. It
1: can't be. It can't be. So we're going to do here, um, if you're cool with it, we're going to do 10 questions. And then uh, at the end, you'll yep. get a chance to give some final thoughts, and we'll we'll wrap it up. Okay. All right. So, ten questions with Penny. Yes, is. Yes, you. Yes,
0: yes. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Penny X.
1: <laughs> Question number one: True or false? There is no life without some kind of spirituality.
0: Wow, it's a true or false and not an essay? I'm going to say true.
1: It's hard, it's hard not to essay that one, isn't it? So much, it is. So much to it. Number two, toast or bagel? Bagel. Crispy. Okay. Crispy bagel. All right. Number three, this is a complete the sentence. The key to early mental health care is?
0: The key to early mental health care is I wanna say vigilance, but I feel like there should be a word that goes with vigilance, maybe rational vigilance. Okay. Okay.
1: Just just, just maybe an overall awareness, right?
0: Right. Be aware of symptoms and and be proactive about Seeking help sooner rather than later
1: all right uh, number four Twitter or Facebook
0: oh man <laughs> yes <laughs> I am a social media junkie <laughs> yeah
1: I figured. yeah you're all over the place but in a good way
0: uh, <laughs> thank you okay so both, yes.
1: Uh, Twitter can be a mess sometimes, but okay. Uh, number five. Um, recommend three good books if you can.
0: Wow, three good books. Well, outside. So I'm going to recommend. I'm going to recommend a category of all of the people who have come out of Scientology and told their stories or written. Um, uh, information about Scientology. So any of that you must read. Right. So many. I and mean, you can't even pick three plus. Like if you pick one, your other friends aren't going to be happy. So any of yeah. them are all amazing. <laughs> I'm going to be diplomatic and keep my friends here. Um my, let's see. David Baldacci's Absolute Power. I think okay. it was his first novel. I loved it. Okay. I hated the movie. Um, Mary Stewart's Crystal Cave trilogy, and The Dalai Lama's Ethics for the New Millennium.
1: Sounds interesting. That's a, that's an interesting group of three books right there. I like the diversity. All right. I'm very thankful. Wow. <laughs> Number six, true or false, Scientology is a religion.
0: That has to be an essay. Um, Scientology, I think that practitioners have a right to call anything they want a religion. If I decide tomorrow that I'm going to worship my cat and that's going to be my religion, I think that I have the personal freedom to call whatever I want my religion. Um, Scientology itself, does it behave like a religion, a charitable organization? No, it doesn't. No, it it uses the idea of religion as a way to protect themselves from um, the consequences of toxic abuse and their business model.
1: So I think you're saying false.
0: (laughs) Wait, what? I
1: think you're saying false.
0: Yeah, I'm saying Scientology can't call itself a religion, but practitioners right. can say that's still religion. Okay,
1: it's just it's just follow change. the
0: rules very well. You know that, right?
1: <laughs> Maybe I'll change it. True or false? Scientology is a cult. Yes. True. Scientology
0: okay. is a high control group. <laughs> yes. Right. Destructive, toxic, abusive cult. Yes.
1: You just Three. completely <laughs> blew up number seven, though. Completely <laughs> blew number seven. Uh, true or false? Wicca is a religion.
0: I suppose. I don't know. You kind of said it wasn't. I suppose it is. It doesn't doesn't use religious cloaking as a way to avoid tax, um, tax obligations or to abuse people. Okay. That's fair.
1: Number eight. Drink alone, drink with friends, or just drink water because it's necessary to live.
0: Yes, all of the above.
1: <laughs> Just drink.
0: I live in Wisconsin. <laughs> you drink milk, you drink beer, you drink. <laughs> Just drink. <laughs> right. drink.
1: But, but responsibly, of
0: course. Oh, yeah. Yes. I live Number in, nine. in the 21st century. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Number nine. Why ask why?
0: Oh, my gosh. Because there's so many fascinating things out there to know, it just um, like I can't imagine not asking why. Plus, plus, it gets you invited to be on your kid's trivia team when you go visit. All right, very so. good.
1: <laughs> and number 10's kind of over open. And is there anything we didn't cover that you wanted to say? Any any messages for the people out
0: there? Um, Messages for people is to evaluate information skeptically, to learn about critical thinking, about cognitive dissonance, confirmation bias, and certainly to understand what logical fallacies are. I have a little card of logical fallacies I keep on my desk. um, And to recognize those errors in reasoning when they pop up in arguments um, online in articles in news reports certainly on twitter or on blogs and to just you know use good intellectual tools for intellectual safety protect protect your belief system by being skeptical good message
1: good message all right. Well, Penny, thank you for being on the show. I think is uh I think you have an important story and a major message out there, and uh, I'm glad we we're able to put it out.
0: Thank you so much for this opportunity. It was really enjoyable.
1: All right. Well, I'll, I'll be in touch, and you take care.
0: Thank you. Have a good rest of your afternoon.
1: Okay. So that was Penny. Uh,
0: apparently,
1: uh, she Doing quite a bit of trauma, of course. Like I said, I know she uh, uh, talked about the catatonia. If you want to understand better uh, what happened with Brian and what the catatonia means and what it catatonia, they kind of like that. I can't talk today. The catatonic state uh, she referred to and uh, the effects it has on people, I have put a link in uh, with some information. Uh, there's other very good resources than what I linked on the subject if you want to read up on it of course and uh, of course check out her blog ScientologyWidow.wordpress.com of course remember to check out Lori Hodgin's book A Mother's Heartbreak that's out right now and uh, I don't know what's coming next week I don't know if I have an interview if I'm going to rant if I'm just going to take it off but I will let you know as the week progresses folks just keep track of my Twitter account my Man, or at CTS underscore here. and uh, until uh, next time Stay connected and that About sums it up If I speak for your followers and I speak For your ex-followers and I speak for the Curious outsiders looking in And you remain silent in the shadows And don't let your balls drop enough to come Out and say something Then I say who Do you speak for Mr. Miscavige Anything On earth that says Don't listen to your mum and dad Don't talk to your mum and dad that's bad Yep. Wrong.
0: I remember sitting there wishing I could just scream out loud and beg for help. But I knew if I did that, I would never see Mark again. This is the thing about real life. You can't experience the great thing without the bad thing. I felt like it would probably be better off if we didn't exist. And, um, you know, came up with a plan on, on how to end it. He talks about seven-year-old child. Mm-hmm. Even if he's referring to actually an adult, so let's say we change that to an adult. I mean, a woman, he say the woman shudders just a man, he's the man hits hits her even passionately. The fact is that he shudders. You do a big apology to me and give me my kids back. I'm still shocked by the evil. I, I, I yes, even to this day, when I see a video of a former friend or family member, I'm like, this is pure evil at work.